The Space Case Sarah Show with space nerds Kobe and Benjamin. Who is Space Case Sarah? Spunky, edgy, smart, funny, and a rebel feminist. Now, witness it yourself on iRock Space Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, space cadets, and is there, I don't know, cadetes alike, we have returned after a bit of a hiatus from recording, though you haven't missed our, our sweet melodic voices. Um, we have had uh, a few episodes banked up, and that's what's been playing over the past few weeks. So actually, but though for us, this is this is our first recording back together in like three weeks, four weeks. So four weeks. Well, I know. Welcome back to the Space Case Sarah Show with my wonderful co-host Kavi. And Benjamin, boo, thank you both for, like I said, the flexibility while I was gone in the Philippines. How have your past weeks been? I I truly feel like I am in a time warp where I'm like, did, what happened while I was gone? You guys good? I won Everybody? the lottery, blew it all, and now I'm back to normal. You <laughs> missed the whole ride. The whole- uh... Were you that- were you asked were you that powerball winner <laughs> i was a powerball winner and i blew it all on more powerball tickets <laughs> all of which lost <laughs> and now he's here this is this explains a lot and i know that kavi had a research paper end of semester sort of lots of lots of things do where he reported uh. back that he was staring into the abyss of an existential crisis you know he was looking at the black hole and the black hole looked back and winked mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the winking. It, it wasn't a black hole. I think it was a, a wormhole. That was one of the questions. Honestly, I can't remember if it was on the actual exam or just a practice exam. I had my final exam in general relativity yesterday, and that was it. I'm done. No more exams ever. <sighs> and I'm free. I'm free to do this awesome stuff with you guys. He's nice. free. Until Congrats. the academia bug bites him again and says, come back. Like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had an amazing trip in the Philippines. Um, I don't know if I brought it up on this show, but I did try Balut, which is um it's a a duck, it's a duck embryo mm-hmm. in oh. the egg. It it fertilizes up to a certain point and then they yes. steam it. Yes. Um, and then you uh you, you break open the top of the shell, you suck out the juices, and then you eat said embryonic bird. <laughs> I've seen it eaten. I've not had it myself. But, but why? Yeah, but why? <laughs> Hold on. Are they, in, are they in such a rush to eat that they don't like wait to just eat the duck? It seems... I so, think they realize I, that when ducks are alive, they can run away, so they try to get them before right. they get to that point. <laughs> I don't really know, like, it's it's a it's a, it's a a delicacy, I guess. It, but, so, but it's not, because it's like street food. Um, the tour, like, we went on a tour of um, one of the cities, I, and my brain is that shot. I'm like, uh, Milan? No, uh, Manila. And uh, the tour driver was like, the reason that you can only buy it at night, though, is so that basically you can't see what you're eating. Um, and then he made an inappropriate joke about that's the the, the potent recipe with that and, and the San Miguel beer or whatever it is that they have there. So anyway, my point is I did that, though, um, and uh, got to do a bunch of diving. 
which was really cool. Although we did have a typhoon come in right at the beginning of our trip. So it really kicked up a lot of sediment in the ocean. So the locals were like, mm. this is so bad. We're so sorry. And we were like, we, we dive in dirty, muddy lakes. Like this is great. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it just was, it was warm and it was lovely. And now I'm back to, uh, Rockford, Illinois, where it is, I think 23 degrees right now and snowing. So I was about yeah. to say 23 sounds lovely. Cause I was thinking in Celsius. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Nope. That, that would be Fahrenheit for us, uh, Americans. Um, yes. Eagles per freedom per degree. Eagles per freedom. <laughs> Rounded up to turkeys. <laughs> we should make a shirt that says that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Space Case Sarah Show. This is the phosphorus episode. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what number that is on the periodic table. 15. 15. We are 15 in, which is exciting. Uh. And uh, gentlemen, why don't you take it away? Tell me what you know about phosphorus. There's about 26 ounces of phosphate in the human body, mostly in the bones. That's all I got. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got more. But that's all there is for that one little science fact. Thank you for tuning in today. (laughs) Woo! Hi, everybody. I was like. I was doing a bit of reading on phosphorus and the way that it was first distilled and kind of like, you know, uh, uh, isolated. Um, you know what? I didn't want to go down that path. It's too early in the episode for toilet humor, but basically okay, the yeah. way that they, just... the, the way that they did it was this <laughs> German chemist, alchemist dude in the 17th century just like distilled urine he's like hmm i wonder what would happen if i take my urine and i boil it up and then i cook it down and then i leave it for four days it's like oh god I'm, I'm so glad that science has brought us here but sometimes i read about the way that we got to places in science and it just it's like why you gotta be weird science just, just, <laughs> just why you Science is the best when it's weird. You get the the neatest stuff. Just really uncomfortable now. No, but it's like, like think, think about like all of these things that we think. Think about like uh, honey or or cow milk. Like, like who was the? There had to be a first person who was a little bit weird. Like, absolutely. I I want some of that. I want some of that. And and it's like, okay, cool. Honey's great. Love it in tea. But but why? But why? Yeah. Uh, As a beekeeper, I off I truly often think that like what idiot was the first one that was like, yeah, I've seen a lot of animals stick their, you know, stick their noses and paws in that thing. We should mm-hmm. go up there and try it too. <laughs> and all those animals got stung, I'm I'm assuming. <laughs> right? It's kind of like Well like um yeah. bears have such thick fur, um, they don't get to i mean the bees have a hard time getting to them so um most most animals are smart enough not to do that that that's a pretty bad life choice for most animals i did look up one time by the way how many bee stings it would take for their venom to be fatal and it would have to be like the entire hive would have to sting you so um whoever whoever he was jim bob jim bob was probably given a bunch of mushrooms that they were like this jim bob this is good stuff and then hey go up there and 
stick your hand in that tree hole, see what happens. <laughs> the, the, the other non, the non-toilet humor related uh, thing that I found with phosphor- phosphorus that was interesting was uh, that uh, the origin of the name uh, Phosphoro uh, mm. is Greek for light bringer, um, which is also mm. one of the names given to uh, Lucifer, Morning Star, the devil in uh, Judeo-Christian mythology. And um, I think that it's also like Phosphora was also the name in ancient Greek for Venus, which mm. we call the Morning Star really? as well. Um, yeah. So... Um, it's it's interesting uh, for people who don't know. So Venus is called the morning star. I think in ancient Egypt they called it the morning and the evening star. That was one of the monikers given to the pharaoh because mm-hmm. Venus, um, because it orbits closer to the sun, as you guys probably know, um, is often seen first thing in the morning uh, and last thing in the evening because it's you know close to the sun. Yes. It's kind of like hanging on like donkey and trick <laughs> because of its <laughs> super thick. Uh atmosphere well all the all the gases in its atmosphere is also quite reflective that's why it's so bright covered in clouds yes yes but that was a good segue kind of into introducing the theme of the show which i am really excited about um it was proposed why don't we talk about science for evil and uh and actually i did want to put out like a little disclaimer um because I had a very philosophical conversation with someone and we were discussing about how, uh, you know, basically us as the space case Sarah show, we don't want to fully, you know, be like, this is absolute evil and this is absolute right. Because how do we determine that? How is, how is, you know, there's so many things I, I could think of right off the top of my head in science where it was like, there were bad parts and there were good parts about certain discoveries. Like um, nuclear energy is like, prime example where you could do great harm it also can do mm-hmm. good so you know we don't want to be too quick to be like uh evil but i, I do like the idea of like dr <laughs> evil yes the uh like i think i need to get a sound bite of like the crack of thunder and like science <laughs> for evil um it's something that i think in in like pop culture we we love to the point where even when a scientist is portrayed in like a movie or something, it is sort of like the, the default is like that they're bad. You know what I mean? Really? Like um, it, that there's like this evil, twisted, maniacal, like, oh, you know, they're a little bit off their rocker kind of thing. I and mean, Dr. Um, evil got his PhD for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Every I mean, great big horror movie starts off with somebody ignoring a scientist's warnings. Right. And then bad happens but but that's like that's the scientist doing good (laughs) that's the scientist doing good though Mm -hmm. i'm saying you know you have the um i don't know for some reason i keep thinking of like frankenstein i was about Um, to say dr frankenstein is just trying to do something very interesting right but it's like prolonged life it was a great thing i don't know you spend long enough in academia anyone can go mad when can you blame me? <laughs> but that's another great example of the that I think that there's a really interesting philosophical kind of element to this because you know he was trying to do something good, but he created something kind of bad, um, and and it's just you know it's it's like those things that I always think of where there's there's no easy way to be like yes this was this 
this was uh, in this philosophical conversation I was having, we talked about like asbestos, for example, where Mm -hmm. asbestos was invented with the idea that it was very um, fireproof and it was good. But then we found out later it's bad. And so does that do we really condemn the people, though, who came up with asbestos as a building material because they didn't know, you know, do we condemn them? Mm -hmm from that lens. So that was the only thing I wanted to just throw out that I'm not mm. trying to like, I'm not trying to say science for evil, but I, I, I know what we're, I know where we're going with this. Does that make sense? I think, yeah, yeah no, that definitely makes sense to me. I think that, um, I, there, there's some Einstein quote that I'm not even going to try to misremember that was somewhere along the lines of, you know, any technology can be developed, uh, that, that can be developed will be, has a potential to be used for evil. And right. I think that intention matters a lot. So with the asbestos example, like if you're developing a product for commercial use and you know that it's dangerous. So like this was the whole thing with um, leaded gasoline. Like they knew that it was dangerous and they chose to ignore that. And therefore, yeah. I think that it, it's it's okay to kind of make a, a moral judgment on that and say like you did something bad because you knew that this would have negative impacts. But with sure. um, you know nuclear energy, um, there wasn't there wasn't anything like that where they're like this is going to be bad but we'll pretend it's not i mean there were there were uses military uses that were very clearly going to be relevant that everybody knew about but that wasn't evil in the same way although i guess we'll get into that a bit yeah more we will <laughs> i was gonna say uh just to wrap up the segment you know in since we're talking about nuclear energy and um and bringing up oppenheimer you know i i joke with uh, <laughs> I joke a lot that if you want to get out of, um, you know, your research paper or your class or something like that, just try to just try to poison your professor with an apple. You know, I mean, that might work because that's what he did. Did you guys know that? What? Oppenheimer tried to poison a professor with an apple because he was miffed about his like grades or something. I'm oh, dead wow. serious. Okay, I am uh, learning. <laughs> hold on. For the kids listening at home, we do not recommend poisoning your teachers right. as much as you might want to. Yes, Robert Oppenheimer attempted to poison Blackett with an apple laced with toxic chemicals. He was his head tutor at the time, and he found him to be brilliant but extremely demanding. So, if... Can I have an A? No. What? All right, that's cool. Here's the snack. Here's here's an apple. <laughs> Try this apple. <laughs> eat it. Eat it. I want to see you eat it. Eat it. All right. We're going to take a break, and then we will talk about science for evil. But in, in actuality, I think a, a better way of saying it, not like science for evil, but like maybe ways that like science was intended for good, and it ended up going wrong, oh, or, gosh, or vice versa, you know. science something was developed with ill intent and then we ended up being able to use it in a good way or something like that you know um so you are listening to the space case sarah show i forgot to do all our plugs and stuff in this first segment again so uh, we'll do that in the second one (laughs) (laughs) you you are listening to irock space radio and we shall be back after this quick music break Hello again. It has been a while since we've been, uh, as Benjamin pointed out, in the race for the return to the green room. Benjamin came back to this Space Case Air show 
clearly in the lead. I, I'm going to say probably it's because Kavi's still recouping from his, you know, uh, existential paper crisis. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and again, you should probably just give your professors a poison apple. Just, you know, just, just saying. Um, so we're doing an episode on uh, what we're calling science for evil, but it's more of a, a look at like science that maybe was used with the intent of doing harm and then it ended up being beneficial in some ways or the other way around before we launch into that as a reminder i am space case sarah you can find me on all the social media platforms as space case sarah um and gentlemen please introduce yourselves and your handles i'm benjamin from science actually and you can find me as Kavi says, and all the social time wasters. Uh, under science actually, or actually science, take your pick. And we have stuff up there all day, every day. Every day, every day. Trying to ruffle feathers and ruffling feathers even when you're not trying. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and you can uh, find me, Kavi Rose, at Fun Fact Science on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Google, other places, everywhere that you <laughs> desire to look for me, I will be there. Where you least expect. I'll be there for you. And before we uh, also get too carried away with our conversation, oh my God, you guys, Artemis launched. It finally <gasps> launched. Oh, it God. This is why oh. there's pigs flying outside right now. Like, it finally happened i didn't watch it but it happened um, i stayed up late and made sure i watched it it was fantastic i bet it, it was. was going incredibly fast i noted that uh, at one point during uh the launch uh it was traveling i calculated one equator per hour it was going over twenty-two thousand <laughs> miles an hour and i just what? thought that was so funny it's fast. <laughs> it was fast. Were you just also deliriously tired? So you were like, what equator? I was deliriously <laughs> tired. And when I heard the call out, Orion's traveling 19,000 miles in an hour. I'm like, wow, it's fast. And they said 20. And then they said 22. I'm like, hey, that's a familiar number. <laughs> that's the equator. It's traveling an equator per hour. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Well, that's awesome that you stayed up. I like poop. Nope. There was, it was almost 2 a.m. my time when that launched. And uh, five o'clock comes really early for me. So, nope, nope, nope. But um, we're, we're ecstatic. We're so glad that, you know, it, it finally went. They had the, uh, what do they call it? The red team? The, they had to, the red crew. Had a, yeah. The red that. crew. Like, uh, in, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, just like the idea that, you know, you have this basically a giant explosive on the launch pad and the team that you decide to send out just to fix up one tiny thing of this basically like, you know, a ticking time bomb that's going to space is the yeah. red crew just gave me like these Star Trek vibes of like, we're sending in the red shirts. The red, yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> they do great. Yeah. Can you imagine the waivers they have to sign for oh. like, <laughs> that job? 
Like we are not in any way liable for your death at all. <laughs> only uh, one, only one crew member wore a red shirt and made it all the way through. <laughs> Scotty, Scotty wore the red shirt. And Scotty made it through. That was bold yeah, because was bold he was giving it all he had. That's right. Yeah. Um. So speaking of, of of an explosive bomb, that was you know sure. the example that we used right away in the beginning of uh, the first segment, mm-hmm. introducing this episode concept about science for evil, science for good. Um, you know, nuclear energy is probably one of the most loaded topics when it comes to scientific advancements, and um, and it's because it is it's massively powerful, and. I remember, well, there's a couple of things that I remember uh, just from, you know, obviously the um, environment that I was raised in. Uh, one of the questions is like, should we, should we even be able to do that? Like, should we be playing God, so to speak? Um, and uh, right. Uh, more so in, in cloning, I guess we could talk about cloning till uh, two also for science, but, um, but um, I, you know, I kind of feel a little silly though. Was was it initially researched for warfare? Can you guys refresh my memory on that? Wasn't nuclear energy, or was to, it just being? To the best of my things. Yeah, I, I think it was just so um, particle physics and nuclear physics were being researched. You know, outside of any sort of military effort, and you know, predates World okay. War II. But I think the the reason why we associate the two together is that it kind of got a huge leap in uh, the development because it was being funded by the war effort with the Manhattan Project. When like you take all these brilliant physicists and put them all in a room and say, "Math, like do math, just just do math." Here, we'll give you coffee, we'll give you money, just do math. Um, so we've we got some incredible advancements in our understanding of how nuclear physics works how the universe works on those on that level but yeah at what right right um it's it's one yeah it's one of those things that i guess you're probably right historically it's hard to untangle the two because of the timing of when it was you know really pushed and that is also kind of an unfortunate thing but a lot of innovation is pushed by warfare um And I mean, we can, you know, thank the space program because of the, the um, Cold War and, you know, and Sputnik. And, and so, um, so when you were going to that, like, intent part of it, too, I guess that's a good thing also to sort of detangle in the conversation. You know, were those physicists really doing it going, oh, I can't wait for this to get dropped on a bunch of people. You know, they're just they're just doing math. They're doing science. They're doing what they thought they were supposed to do. So um, that, yeah, nuclear energy, I think is one of those things that is uh, it's a big issue too, because it's just, it's sort of like when a rocket explodes, it's just big and it's visible. And it's like when a nuclear reactor ac- accident occurs, it's big and it's visible, but they're so f- infrequent. <laughs> they're so small in terms of, of disasters. They get a nuclear lot of energy to Huh? Yes. Nuclear exactly. energy gets a lot of bad press. I think also because of the association with the Cold War and everyone thinking mm-hmm. of these kind of James Bond uh, reactors that are always 
kind of like me during undergrad, always having meltdowns. And I think that <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that the issue is is that there are ways that we know about, not like you know, oh, maybe we'll figure it out. There are ways to uh, produce energy in uh, nuclear processes that aren't at risk of having a meltdown. It's just a matter of continuing to invest in these processes to make them efficient, you know, meaning that you can get more energy out than you're putting in to run the reactor. And so I, I think the average person is too busy thinking about, you know, Cold War meltdowns and nuclear bombs, and it all gets conflated and it's just like nuclear equals bad. When in reality, yeah. in reality, um, nuclear energy is probably the best renewable energy source that we have, the best way to get off fossil fuels and the best thing to do for the climate. Exactly. Absolutely. It's one of the cleanest things we can do to generate energy outside of perfecting solar and wind. Um, it is absolutely long lasting. We have, uh, we have un to creating, <laughs> using nuclear energy to power uh, towns and cities and countries is a wonderful thing. But again, going back to, I don't know if it's evil there are nuclear power plants on military vessels so they can just run and run and run and go. Right. And these are technically instruments of warfare, but they're also still very, very cool. And they also provide incredible humanitarian aid. An aircraft right. carrier can pull up to uh, an island that's been ravaged by a hurricane, say, and they can literally physically run power cables from the aircraft carrier to the town and just turn the place back on because it's a nuclear power plant. It creates vast amounts of electricity right. it's an incredible incredible resource and i think you're right the, the misunderstanding of it too because um you know uh rovers are powered by nuclear energy mm -hmm. as well and um <clears throat> but i think if you walked up to somebody and said how how do you think this aircraft carrier is powered they wouldn't probably think nuclear right away i i think it's just like yeah a really bad pr pr job on um on both sides of the conversation. What is another, okay. So I didn't, I, you know, I could kind of easily jump then to uh, the green alternatives as being very well meant, but not working out as well as I think that they should. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to get too stuck in a, in an energy rut. Um, I think the other really, really, really hot topic, really hot topic. Speaking uh, of nuclear fusion. <laughs> <laughs> is uh no is medicine medicine is fraught with intended you know intent for good and and then we learn about things that aren't good about certain things or um you know there's also people who are spreading rumors and lies about certain medicine and that's not true and it's not founded so medicine to me i feel like is another hugely hot topic to dip into. I, I think it's important, maybe just as a general caveat, as we're diving into this topic to say that, you know, science isn't always black and white. In any given moment, there can be, right. you know, this is what, this is, this is the truth. This is our understanding based on all the evidence we have and based on the models we have. And the fact that that might be slightly altered or completely altered the following day based on additional evidence and additional research doesn't right. make it 
untrustworthy on the whole. It's just that the scientific right. method is this kind of uh, feedback cycle where it's like, I will develop a, a theory, I will test the theory, I will use the result of the test to refine my theory, and so on and so on. So it's like when people point to things that are related to medical treatments, um, you know, things like vaccines, and say, oh, they said this, but now they said this, haha, they're lying. Right, no, right. that's just that's just that's the opposite of lying. It's honesty. It's saying mm -hmm. we have learned from the past and we are continuing to improve. And I, I wasn't trying to single any particular topic out because it is such a such a hot topic, mm -hmm. especially uh, as of late. Um, but I'm going to use myself as an example for this. Um, I, and this is, you know, hello, internet, have my entire life had had issues with urinary tract infections. And when I was young, they were like, here you go, antibiotics, two weeks. Here's a course, antibiotics, two weeks. They didn't know how detrimental that could end up being, not mm -hmm. only in antibiotic resistance. Um, so I'm, I'm a fantastic candidate for that now, but also <laughs> it, it actually damages, um, the lining of your bladder and that has caused me problems with into adulthood. Um, and, uh, and then, and then thanks to not having health insurance after I fell off my parents when I was 18, I, it went really unnoticed for a while cause I didn't have any health insurance and I just would go into walk-in clinics and they would just be like, well, based on what you're telling us, you have a urinary tract infection, here's some antibiotics and then just send me on my way. And I just kept perpetuating the damage to myself for a really long time until I finally had insurance. And then they were like, oh, yeah, this could be a problem. And then, uh, and then we went through a fun phase for a while too, where they were like, well, we're learning that, you know, over-treating with antibiotics can really increase resistance. So <clears throat> we're only going to give you a three-day course of this. And I'd be like, well, I'll see you back in three days. Because, yeah, I've been on, you know, 14-day runs since forever. So, um, you know, and that's, again, when we're saying, like, evil, that's not really evil. It's not like anyone was trying to use science for evil. It's just it ended up being, like, this antibiotics and using them too much is bad, right? Um, yeah. and now we know that, and it's not like someone was intentionally trying to do it, but now I have to kind of deal with the, the consequences of that now where I'm like, well, yeah, there's certain, there's certain antibiotics now that I'm like, mm, no, nope, that's not going to work super great, but <laughs> I think, <know>. yeah, <laughs> you're right. The intention, the intention definitely matters. And I think I, um, well, it could be fun maybe for the next segment to discuss, um, mm -hmm. Fritz Haber and you know, these kind of interesting, both positive and negative intentions that he had with the incredible work that he actually won a Nobel Prize for. Um, but yeah. but just as a reminder to people, um, phosphorus, um, you know, besides being related <laughs> <laughs> to, to Lucifer, um, phosphorus is also used in a white phosphorus is used in chemical warfare. Um, yep. So... It's it's interesting how this turned into like science war episode, but there's there's a lot of like yeah, brilliant technology that was developed, you know, is. technology for the sake of technology. Right. I mean, and antibiotics yeah. are a perfect example of that too. I mean, it was an accident that it was discovered, and it has literally saved lives. I mean, I always joke. I'm like, if I would have been born pre antibiotics, I would have died. I would have died. Like the amount of infections I've had in my life, I would have died. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, thank you to all the scientists who do that for us. But yes, we do need to take a break. 
Uh, more music is coming your way again. Um, we are the Space Case Sarah Show. We're here on iRock Space Radio, and you can follow us on all the social medias and especially go after that science actually actually science guy because he really likes negative feedback. Uh, he oh, tells bring us it lay on. on him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> so we'll be right back. And you are listening to Space Case Sarah Show on iRock Space Radio. Welcome back to Space Case Sarah Show. And we're doing an episode on phosphorus, which is surrounding the topic of science and how sometimes it's been used in positive ways and sometimes in negative ways. And um sometimes it's intentional sometimes it's not i don't know again it when i was talking about fleshing out this episode it really went philosophical very quickly mm -hmm. um it's just it's hard like ben or uh, like hot said like the scientific method also like it's nothing is black and white nothing is ever as black and white as we would like it to be um it's un it's an unfortunate part of human nature um that we you know it's it, yeah i can see we need to categorize things yeah we yeah but then like sometimes it's like we get into something and then it it goes so far it gets too far and suddenly people are like how did how did we get here the uh stanford experiment is a perfect example of this um yeah. and you know why we have like certain models of research standards now because that went out of control so quickly experiment. oh my gosh oh the stanford, yeah the stanford so they so uh, a researcher at oh, stanford the prison, experiment. the prison experiment yeah ah, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he wanted bad. to see yeah it went, <laughs> it went it went downhill real quick um just basically if they randomly assigned certain students to be uh a guard you know guard um the guards of a prison and then students certain students were the prisoners they uh like basically wanted to see how they would psychologically <clears throat> interact with each other and it, it just went it went downhill so fast mm -hmm. and i guess even the students who were um prisoners that like their doors were open they could have left and for some reason they didn't um, and it's been argued it's because they really wanted the money, uh, but still the amount of money they were getting paid, even for those times was not worth the amount of torture that the other, the guard students were putting them through. They were like making them clean toilets with toothbrushes and then having to use the toothbrushes. And like, it just was, it, it went dark really fast. And so, yeah, um, it's, uh, it was... it's human. Yeah. Humans can be scary. Human. <laughs> There was a, a study that was done by the guy, oh, I'm blanking on his name, um, but Malcolm Gladwell has a great uh, podcast mm -hmm. series on this called Revisionist History, and he was I discussing some of these everywhere. experiments. Amazing. Amazing. So you know what I'm talking about. There was um, an experiment that was done on malnutrition um, mm -hmm. just towards the end of the Second World War. And it was, experiment. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It was a starvation experiment, and it was awful. They, they basically starved this group of people um for i think close to a, a year and the result and this, voluntarily yeah Vol and okay. what was interesting was i mean these were people who like you know they didn't they hadn't served i think a lot of them were conscientious objectives and they hadn't served in military roles and so they volunteered they felt like they wanted to give something because they were working with this guy who had you know developed 
uh, field rations uh, for World War Two, and so it's like, okay, he's studying malnutrition and figuring out a way to help the troops. Let's you know work with him, and then um, basically it nearly killed them, and it was like <laughs> you know horrific uh, in terms of the psychological impact that it had on them as well. But what's wild is that this was this continues to be like one of the keystone studies on malnutrition until today. And it could never be repeated again because of, you know, things like ethics board approvals that are required for, right. for experiments. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. You had an example you said you wanted to bring up. Um... Yeah. Fritz, Fritz Haber. Um, Haber. Yeah. Um, so Fritz Haber Fritz was Fritz Haber. Yeah. So Fritz Haber was. <laughs> yes, he was a nice he was a nice Bavarian boy actually from the Bavarian hills and 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 he was he was a chemist yeah, um, oh, yeah. no so, so <laughs> you're really good at that I can do I can do the rest of the episode like that if you want um, it's harder uh, yeah <laughs> that's a Nobel but, Prize in chemistry yeah <laughs> it was wild so he won the Nobel. <laughs> <laughs> he won the Nobel Prize in, in chemistry in 1918, but a bunch of people like snuffed him and didn't want to actually show up because they're like he's a he's a warmonger and a war profiteer and and he's evil, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Basically, Fritz Haber did two things uh, that are kind of related, but the I... the, the main the main thing that he developed he did zwei things. So the main thing, the main thing that he developed was um, the Haber Bosch process, um, which is basically a way to uh, fix nitrogen. So when you you know pull um, nitrogen is important for fertilization, it's also for, important for uh, explosives, um, and we'll get to that. Um, but there's nitrogen all around us in our atmosphere. We've spoken previously about how air is made up of you know more than seventy percent nitrogen, but we can't just pull nitrogen out of the air we couldn't at least until this process and so this process had this chemical way of doing that basically converting um air into ammonia and you can use the nitrogen from the ammonia um but it was it was kind of crazy because it's like this guy was doing such incredible things for agriculture if he hadn't invented this process we basically would not have had the agricultural um wherewithal to survive having you know a population above two billion people i think the estimates were on earth and now we have nearly eight billion we might have uh, passed we hit eight, eight billion, billion. We, we, yeah, oh we, we hit, hit that okay we've hit i didn't get the memo yeah i was a couple okay. of days ago i saw that yeah yes. i was <laughs> so yeah so it's like this guy literally saved billions of lives by creating this process that we we all rely on about 50 percent of the nitrogen in your blood comes from the Fritz Haber process, but, uh, sorry, the Haber, Bro- the Haber Bosch process, I should say. Um, but the guy also, you know, was responsible for providing that same ammonium to produce dynamite and explosives, um, in world war one. I. I mean, he also created, uh, chlorine gas. He also created, um, his Institute created what became Zyklon B, which was the gas used in the gas chambers, uh, in world war two. So it's like, mm-hmm. This this one man was simultaneously both a savior and, you know, a devil kind of, you know. Right. Yeah. Um. I, I, and I I thought I was 
Uh, and, I, and the thought has escaped my brain now. I was thinking of something also <laughs> along the same lines of, oh, um, duh, space. Um, thinking about uh, our, oh my gosh, my brain is so shot. You know, the guy that we stole from the Nazis to start our space program, essentially. Right? You uh, know, um, Braun. Yeah, Braun. Thank you. Yeah. Zibron. Zibron. Werner von Braun. He, he should have probably been a war criminal, but they were like, this guy's got some, he's got some goods and uh, we could use that. You're right. This is getting really tied in with warfare, but I guess I suppose that that's kind of the, um, the, the ugliest part of humanity. Again, going back to philosophy is our, our ability to go to war over uh, as Carl Sagan would say, a, a fraction of a speck of a dot. Mm -hmm. um, that that's our that's you know the the odd you know I guess you could argue tribal evolutionary desirings of our past that mm -hmm. still manifest in just more scientifically powerful and proficient ways, unfortunately. Um, but it's it's important to to remember that you know any technology can be used for good or for bad, for good or and for so, evil. Yeah. <clears throat> so, well, so and here was my it. right. It doesn't. It right. Any technology. So, and here was my uh, my ultimate clincher philosophical thought process when I was thinking about this episode was, um, in a, in a way. You know, the times that we live in right now, it's amazing, right? Because we have this technology. I mean, the fact that we're recording right now and we're all on respectively different corners of this globe. Amazing, right? But to get the batteries for these, <laughs> these machines, to get this technology, there's heavy prices that are paid to both our planet and to, you know, labor of people and children to get the minerals for the batteries and, you know, and we know this because we have this amazing technology that by the click of a button can tell us like, Oh, by the way, did you know where your iPhone was made and how it was made? And you're like, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's this sort of inescapable web that we're all a part of too, because it's also impossible to get, to get away from it. You can't, there's, you, I've looked it up. You can't find laptops or they're very difficult to find that would get out of that system of how these are built, but you can't not have a laptop. You know what I mean? I like we're kind of trapped in a web. You're right. But also I think being able to communicate as a global society gives us the ability to hold companies socially responsible. And it's something that I think that we're still learning how to do in a way that is effective Right. Because right. sometimes it's like, you know, keyboard warriors just going off on every little thing and not actually making a difference. But I think that once we level out and we find a way to say, OK, we all clearly want this product or some version of this product. Let's support the company that produces this product in an ethical way. And then hopefully, you know, the market will speak for itself. I think it's something, again, we're, we're, we're constantly playing catch up with the ethics that goes with our technology, right? Like, you know, we developed, we developed spears and weapons of war before we had the philosophical insights to say, hmm, 
maybe I shouldn't <laughs> stab him. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And we didn't think about the implications of, of setting off a bomb that would, you know, kill that many people that quickly, you know, because cause the idea of traditional soldiers killing a, a human being, it's like, that's a horrible thing, but, you know, I have to live with that. But, you know, the pilots who drop bombs over Hiroshima, like that's something that nobody could understand the true impact of that until years later. So right. hopefully we're learning to be better, but it's kind of like <laughs> two steps forward, one but, step back. Yeah, I was going to say, have you have you driven on a, on a major busy interstate? Because, you know, I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm just joking, like road rage. <laughs> Terrible driver. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, that seems a little optimistic. Um, Benjamin, do you have any, uh, topics in particular that you wanted to touch base on about science? Uh, science that's inadvertently evil. Uh, Kavi mentioned the leaded gasoline, uh, earlier. Uh, the guy who invented lead gasoline, he was just trying to solve a problem of making our car engines quieter and run a little bit smoother. And he cooked up this compound that had lead in it and hey it worked let's sell it and they did and it worked great but then everyone realized we're just pumping lead into the air and we're making everybody stupid and we're causing damage to people and it was horrible he also invented freon trying to solve the problem of refrigeration keeping things cool at home working on air conditioners and that was fantastic it was fantastic and he breathed the substance in, and he exhaled it out safely, safely. And he was great. And it was safe for humans to breathe in. But it created, uh, I say it wrong, chlorofluorocarbons, which ascended up into our atmosphere and started destroying our ozone. And when people started to realize it was a problem, they quickly got rid of uh <laughs> freon and almost all of our uh chlorofluorocarbon producing chemicals but still what he made was something that made our lives a little bit easier but could have left unchecked <laughs> made our lives easier right up into our doom <laughs> doom 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 it's nice and cool here i'm getting radiated by the sun instantly but <laughs> Man, I can have ice cream whenever. <laughs> I was going to also say, you know, in terms of the ozone layer, who are the real criminals here? I think the women of the 80s who needed to, men and women of the 80s, who needed to hairspray their hair in mm. such an audacious manner. If there's a true crime being committed here, it was that. I'm looking at you people who lived in the 80s. Um, yeah, that there are so many examples of, <clears throat> well, and I think, you know, Ben or uh, Kavi was making some faces. I think, I think what Benjamin's point to that was, is that like the intention originally was to make engines quieter. Then what can happen is say it's really profitable and they're like, Oh no, now it's bad. How do we undo this? You know, how do you undo this? How do we undo this? <laughs> and that's, you know, uh, like a very layered domino sort of thing as well. Um, like how, how, you know, how do we undo this? And, uh, um, we went back to energy, didn't we? Because solar <laughs> energy has been around for so long, but we started going down a different track and it was really hard to undo the path that we started forging down. 
And, um, and it just, you know, it's really funny to me too, that when you think about like the world's fairs and how many like amazing technological things were there so ahead of their time. And we say ahead of their time, but it was just, it just wasn't, it, it wasn't there yet for mass consumption. And I think you made a really great point in pointing out 8 billion people. Whoo, that's a lot. That's a lot of people to feed, a lot of people to provide energy for, and uh, something to take into consideration. Yep. So, yeah. And on that positive <laughs> note. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on that positive I, note. <laughs> I love these philosophical discussions. You're such, you know. Biggest, I biggest, do too. Biggest pop. I, I do too. Well, I think that the philosophical discussions though are what made like someone like Carl so um significant in science communication because he took so many aspects of humanity when he mm. looked at space exploration. Because if you look at space exploration with this cold, sterile, don't take the human element aspect into it. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I could I could 100% see why, why people would be like why are we wasting all that money on space? Right. Um, and but so when you take that human the human emotion, I, I gave it a lot of a lot of bad rap earlier. But when you give human emotion into things, have you guys seen the trailer for Goodnight Oppie? It's coming out on Thanksgiving. I seen think. it. Can't wait. I cried both times Aww. I've watched it now. Right, because it's a machine, but it's so much more than a machine because of what we put into that. And I think Carl was a really good. Um, communicator in that regard that you know the the phil- the philosophy <laughs> behind all of this is what makes it worth talking about so that's my spiel <laughs> but spiel. um again you are more than welcome to follow us on social media i post just a lot of random nonsense and right now you see a lot about a boat it's kind of my life right now is about this boat that I'm sailing an ex- on an expedition on and I'm managing a museum exhibit. So that is sort of like all consuming. Um, but we're core drilling in the Lost City Hydrothermal Field, which is so cool. It's so important for astrobiology research. Um, science Actually, Actually Science Ben is just, you know, making waves on his channel every day. Just getting the haters. <laughs> And then we're still kind of a little bit baffled by this. Um, And then, and then Kavi, he's on all the time wasters. He's been not wasting his time, but now I think he has more time to waste. So you might see more posts from him. We're going to waste it for you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, you can also find, you know, um, I rock space radio on all the platforms and, I promised in our last episode that we were going to be getting recordings up on the website. I have been assured that it is in the process. Sometimes things just take a little while to get moving. And so we are going to try to get at least um, episodes up soon that had guests on it. Um, That's definitely something I would like to do. And we are looking ahead at bringing some other guests on. Um, So yeah, lots to look forward to. We got, you know, a whole big Christmas break to do a lot of recording with. So. Oh boy. <laughs> oh yeah. Get excited. We'll have stuff. to have some, some less heavy non-philosophical ones, of course, too. We balance it out. We're, we're a 
we're a, a, a nice palette of many things here. So you are listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with my space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, here on iRock Space Radio. You've been listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, a production of iRock Space Radio. Go to iRockspaceRadio.com for more.